the garden. Why did you first set up Democracy.com? Democracy.com was set up uh, as a project at the Harvard Kennedy School uh, back in 2012, where I was doing a mid-career master's in public administration. And I was very influenced... This is Talmadge Cooley. Up until earlier this year, he ran the website Democracy.com. You would go to Democracy.com, you could enter your address and you could see all the people that represented you from the federal level down to the very local level. You could dive into data around where they get their campaign finance money. You could look at their legislative positions. You could look at their committee assignments. You could even learn about their military history and education history and family. So the first thing it did was provide information. Despite its popularity, the website ran out of money in February 2019. I think our biggest mistake was that we overestimated the interest that venture capitalists would have in us as we showed that there was this very large market that was hugely underserved and that this was a core need of people, not just in the United States, but all over the world in democracy. The website is gone, but the domain name is now up for grabs being auctioned off to the highest bidder. At the time of recording, we don't know how much the domain name will sell for, but the asking price was $300,000 or higher. That sounds like a lot, but when we started to dig into the values of domain names, we found some pretty huge sums. It seems to be that the highest value that we know of was for cars.com, valued at $872 million in 2015. After that, we have uh, more recently in June, Voice.com that sold for 30 million, and then we go down a kind of scale. Mostly, these are sites that have um, underlying businesses attached to them. So, for instance, we have Vacation Rentals at 35 million, PrivateJet.com at 30 million, and uh, and then it goes down obviously to the websites that are connected to sex. So, for instance, sex.com went for 14 and porno.com went for 8.8. So what makes a few words in a web browser worth thousands, if not millions, of dollars? I'm Jordan Erica Weber, and this week I look at what's in a name when it comes to domains, what constitutes a good one, and how they might be weaponized in future. Those who seek to spread disinformation about a politician might try to do so, in fact, I think it's entirely possible, and I, we're, we, we probably are partly already there. This is Chips With Everything. My name is Edward Helmore. I'm a reporter with The Guardian in New York. And when did you come across this story about the sale of democracy.com? Uh, I was contacted by a friend of mine who was uh, helping Talmadge Cooley, who is promoting the sale of Democracy.com. Before Democracy.com was used as a safe place for people to engage in political discourse, the domain was registered in the mid-1990s by Intraactive, an online business in Washington, D.C., that reportedly claimed the name on behalf of the Democratic National Committee. The DNC never used it, and eventually a man named John Carrieri bought it. 
He was an early investor in domain names, but he had hoped to use this domain to spread democracy. Eventually, Carrieri decided to sell because he didn't have the time to focus on this lofty goal. A couple of auctions later, and Talmadge Cooley convinced an investor to buy the domain name, and then he went on to use it to launch his version of democracy.com. So, Edward, when talking to you, Talmadge referred to the website as an aspirational piece of real estate. It kind of makes it sound like he's talking about like a luxury beachfront property. Yes, it does. What it means is that that it's a, it has an altruistic purpose, but uh, the owner of the website and uh, Cooley himself uh, have a financial interest in it. So the idea was not only would they promote democracy, but they would also it would also function as a business. Talmadge set up the website back in 2013, in what was perhaps a less divisive time in politics. When I spoke to him, he explained that the website he started saw a change around 2016. We were by design a non-partisan site and uh, that went quite well. And we had stringent rules around hate speech, false information and things like that. And once the 2016 election happened, we definitely saw a more polarized conversation happening. Now, the 2016 election did not compare in in any way to what's happening right now. It was the beginning of something. It was the beginning of Trump's nativism and anti-immigration and government's the problem. And there's this deep state working against the people's interest. He used that rhetoric, but we didn't see that really start to rise to kind of dominate the cultural conversation until I think in the last uh, year and a half. What about kind of the sheer numbers of people visiting the site? So I, I looked up democracy.com on the Wayback Machine, which archives web pages, and a graph on there shows that the website was crawled by the Wayback Machine most frequently in 2016, far more than any other year, uh, which is obviously the year of the most recent US presidential election. Does that also reflect when the site was most visited just by people in general? Yeah, uh, I would say that it it was a steady growth from when we launched in late 2013 to uh, mid 2016 when we ran out of money the first time and we set out to raise more money, which we did. And we recoded the site from scratch in 2018. And then we, re we relaunched in late 2018 and early 2019. After five years of surviving on support from investors, in February this year, the money stopped coming in. I simply couldn't pay the team. It was tragic. We were all heartbroken. This project, which we had worked so hard on for seven years, really ended up not working, not because the product itself wasn't great. We ran into a funding wall that we couldn't fill quickly. And when you can't pay the, your team, you have to let them go find other jobs. Talmud, have you got any kind of dream bidders or buyers for democracy.com? Yes, I think that there are a lot of very high net worth people who are interested in democracy. And the goal really of the effort of the sale is to see how many of those people we can reach and get interested in acquiring this 
unique piece of internet real estate from which to launch efforts that could help democracy. After the break, we'll look more closely at what's in a name when it comes to domains. When domain names like this that relate to a word for a simple concept that has commercial relevance, these can be sold for large sums because the buyer believes that there will be many users potentially visiting that domain name who could be sold to, potentially. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Chips With Everything. I'm Jordan Erica Weber. This week, we're looking into domain names and why something so seemingly mundane can sell for millions of dollars. Before the break, we heard about the auction with the domain name democracy.com on the bidding table. But how does a clump of words become so valuable? I'm Brad Karp. Uh, I'm a professor of computer systems and networks at UCL's Department of Computer Science. Producer Danielle spoke to Brad recently and started off with a simple question. What is a domain name? So in the internet, the computer's attached to the internet, and that's whether we're talking about somebody's mobile or laptop or a server in a data center. They're all, by some means, attached to the internet. And the way that you identify which computer you want to talk to is with a numerical address which is called an IP address. This is the internet protocol, the format of messages between different computers on the internet. So that address is a number, and it would be very inconvenient, that's probably an understatement, if when you wanted to, say, go to The Guardian's website, if you had to somehow remember a number that corresponded to The Guardian and then type that into your browser, that wouldn't be very workable for pretty much anyone. So instead of typing a series of numbers into a browser, we enter words, which, if input correctly, bring us to the website we want to visit. One thing you might notice about this is that domain names are hierarchical. So we went from sort of greatest scope to progressively narrower scopes as we went from right to left. In the domain name system hierarchy, there are multiple levels. Top-level domains, or TLDs for short, include those you might see the most often. .com .net, .org, .edu, .mil, and .gov. The very first registered domain name was a .com. The very first .com domain to be registered was Symbolics.com, which was registered March 15th, 1985. And Symbolics uh, was a company that made a particular kind of computer, uh, which was called a Lisp machine. It was an interesting design uh, for a computer in the 80s. Brad questions whether Symbolics knew the potential for domain names when they registered theirs. There was awareness that the internet was important. Early on, the internet was often used for researchers and scientists to communicate with one another rather than for commerce. And in this era, in 1985, there weren't online stores. There wasn't really commerce happening over the internet at all in 1985, pretty much. So when Symbolics registered this domain name, I don't know what was in the head of the person who did it. Maybe they thought someday we're going to sell these things over the internet. But it's probably much more likely that the management of Symbolics thought that as a sort of 
technology-oriented company. They wanted to have a domain name and be on the internet so that they could exchange information with other technologists and researchers. And maybe there might have even been an aspect of the internet seemed like it was going to be important technologically, and we should, we should have a stake in the ground here. We should be part of the internet, so let's register a domain name for our company. If you, like me, have your own website, you will have registered a domain name for yourself. It can be a long process. Nowadays, when you want to register a domain name, there are a lot of private companies that you can go to uh, that are called registrars. And when you go to one of these private companies, you typically pay a fee, uh, often per year. Uh, you have to find a name that isn't already registered by someone else. Uh, provide some information about payment and your own identity. Then uh, you can register that domain name with the registrar. The registrar, in turn, tells an entity known as a registry. A registry is responsible for tracking all of the names possibly registered by multiple registrars in the same top-level domain. Because all this information needs to eventually get aggregated into one place. One of the biggest hurdles is coming up with a name that hasn't been registered before. In 2013, it was reported that the world has run out of four-letter .com names. To make that clear, that means every possible combination of four-letter options out there, 456,976 in total, had already been taken six years ago. Putting that barrier aside, Brad gave some general tips for coming up with a quote-unquote, good domain name. If we had to state it in the simplest terms, you want something that's easy to remember, distinct from other names, domain names that sound like they have negative connotations if you're trying to sell a product might not go down very well with a potential customer. But also, if you already have some name associated with your company, either a trademark on a product or the name of the company itself. It might be very natural to want to have one of those names be in your domain name so that people who already have an association with your, in some sense, brand or product, if they type into their browser what they think ought to be the domain name for something that they already know about, that they indeed are taken to a website that's related to that thing. Of course, even when you do find a name you like, there's still the potential that someone might try to steal it. There are fail-safes in place, however. Long before the internet, there was this notion, which is sort of interesting, you could say it's analogous to domain names in a way, that certain names are valuable in and of themselves. If you go to the trouble of creating a product and associating a name with that product, then other companies should not be able to use the name that you have invested hard work and money into promoting and perhaps associating with a very good product. For domain names, there are dispute resolution mechanisms that exist, some of which don't technically fall under the province of law, like not courts of law. So there's a United Nations body, WIPO, the World Intellectual Property Organization, that has a role in adjudicating disputes where, for example, a company that holds a trademark finds that somebody not associated with the company has registered a domain name with that trademark. And then they can go to the WIPO and say, this is the evidence that we own this trademark. This is the domain name that has been registered. This is the information about who registered it. 
and the WIPO has the authority to make a judgment, and registrars will comply with the judgment of the WIPO and perhaps take a domain name away from the person who's registered it to transfer it to the rightful owner by virtue of ownership of that trademark. But a cheeky few will still try to find ways of working around those judgments with a tactic called typo-squatting. Suppose that you have a company name, you make a product, and it's, it's called Widget. We're trying to pick something that's not associated with any actual company, although watch, that will be. You have a product that you've spent millions developing and advertising, and it's very popular, but you never registered the domain name widget.com. Somebody else goes and registers widget.com. You could go to the WIPO. Hopefully it's pretty cut and dried if you've trademarked widget as the company that this domain name should belong to you. Widget may be tricky to spell for some people. So it might be that when some people want to visit the website, what they're hoping is the website for the product called widget, maybe they'll type uh, widgit.com. In this case, what someone might do is register that misspelling that's phonetically similar to widget because it isn't identical to the trademark. And they're hoping that if there are typos uh, by internet users, and God knows there are, they will be taken to this site not operated by the rightful maker of the product widget, but by someone else with other aims. Earlier, we heard from Edward Helmore, who told us about Cars.com, the four-letter domain name that sold for $872 million in 2015. Brad thinks that sometimes there's just something inherently valuable about the words you use. There are certain ideas or concepts that are represented by a single word that have commercial relevance where products are sold that, are, that fall under the umbrella of this word. Certainly many cars are sold, a lot of insurance is sold. Um, and so it might be very natural for a web user to sit down at their browser and type in, just on a lark, insurance.com, just thinking, I know I need to buy some insurance. It seems quite likely that there'll be an insurance company at that domain name. Why don't I type that in? And so when domain names like this that relate to a word for a simple concept that has commercial relevance, these can be sold for large sums because the buyer believes that there will be many users potentially visiting that domain name who could be sold to, potentially. We still see the occasional domain name sell for millions, but these days the average price tag has fallen. One reason is that people who start companies um, who don't have named products yet don't want to play this game. They don't want to pick a name that is a word in some language, or at least in a widely used language, uh, that might be squatted on already, that someone will try to sell them for a large sum of money. That's, in some sense, almost a deadweight loss. You just spend a huge sum on this domain name. And what they've realized, I think, is that a non-word that is relatively short and memorable and auspicious sounding can serve just as well as a word, but it's much harder for squatters to predict the non-word. There seems to be a very large number of non-words that could be memorable. And so uh, one strategy for people starting companies is to name their company with a non-word that no one has registered yet. In fact, as you're naming your company, you go and check, has anybody registered this word yet? Just simply to avoid having to pay someone a large sum 
for that name. And I would say that that is probably reducing demand to some extent. Another thing that's happened is that the same word can actually be created as a different domain name now. And what do I mean by that? In the last few years, ICANN, uh, the organization that manages the internet's domain namespace, has created new top-level domains beyond the old .com, .net, .org, and the country code top-level domain names, um, like .biz, um, in some cases, even ones like .boston, um, domain, top-level domain names that are associated with a place. And what happens when they create these new top-level domains is all of the domain names under that top-level domain name suffix can use words that were previously used in .com. And I think part of the intent of creating these new top-level domain names was to democratize things a little bit, reduce the frenzied competitions for, well, both speculation or real-use purchases precious real estate in .com. They sort of created more real estate under different top-level domain names that could use the same word under a different top-level domain name. Unfortunately, like many things that exist on the web, domain names can be used in unscrupulous ways. Sometimes political candidates register domain names. They may use a website to uh, distribute information about their platform, about their plans as a politician, vote for me and I will do these things. As we've seen the rise of disinformation campaigns via various electronic means, it's possible that domain names might be one means by which those who seek to spread disinformation about a politician might try to do so. In fact, you could imagine typo squatting around a politician's name or around a political party's name, trying to spread false information about the plans of a politician that way. So we're heading for weaponized domain names? I think it's entirely possible, and I, we're, we, we probably are partly already there. We did try to make an episode that was just a fun look at something on the internet, but we always seem to find a way to make it slightly depressing. Oh well, maybe next week. Thanks to Talmadge Cooley, Edward Helmore, and Brad Karp for joining us on the show this week. The closing date for the auction of democracy.com at the time of recording is the end of day, November 7th. We'll check back in to see what happens. That's all for this week. I'm Jordan Erica Weber. Thanks for listening. For more great podcasts from The Guardian, just go to theguardian.com slash podcasts.